0: Okay, everybody, we're going live here shortly. Going to do a makeup episode. I missed Wednesday nights. I'll explain why as we get launched here. I doubt anyone will jump on the stream as it's midday. But I will stream it anyway for the sake of... Well, the sake of tradition, I guess. For those of you listening on the podcast, I'm sure this sounds like dead air. I became very self-conscious of the podcast recording on the last episode, on episode 10, because not only was that show sort of long-winded and paced pretty slowly, um, without the music breaks and things, it's it's kind of a chore to listen back to, and it's my own voice, so I can't imagine what it's like for someone who's just dropping in out of loyalty or whatever. Hopefully, people use it as, uh, what do you call that, AMSR or ASMR? I can't remember which is which, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it could use some editing. It could use some... Splicing and some theme music and some bumper breaks, but um, it's just not something I'm interested in doing um, as part of my petulant podcasting history here. So, all right, stream says it's going to start in two minutes. I'm going to go ahead and launch anyway. So, good day and welcome to the Goad Kicker podcast. My name is Carl Smith, Carl D. Smith. And the D stands for didn't record Wednesday. I do apologize. I had one person reach out and ask where the episode was. So um, that's pretty much all the fuel that I need to continue for another week is I let one person down. So my audience, again, I uh, love you and adore you and appreciate you. And um, we're going to roll into episode 11 here. I'm using... Um, a new headset, which you can probably see if you, if you tap into the stream here. Um, it's probably bargain basement, so I'm not really sure the quality of the sound, and I won't know until we're done. But um, as I've moved to a work-from-home situation, as you can see, I'm no longer using the backdrops, and I've talked a little bit about the job changes. Um, I have things set up for work. I had it set up for Carl as I awaited my equipment from work and um, things were pretty good. And then they got better, and then I got my work equipment, and then I realized that my little bubble here, where I intend to be productive and earn my salary, um, isn't set up for my private projects, for those times when I come down and I want to do some coding or some podcasting. PlayStation's not in this room, which is by design. So it was sort of a hard gear shift, just as working from home was a hard geared shift. So I'm still trying to figure out the logistics here. I have the microphone I usually use there on the camera for the podcast, that nice HyperX that uh, that works really well um, for podcasting. Um, I It's plugged into my other hub for my work computer, and rather than... Move a bunch of cords around and all that nonsense. Um, yeah, I decided to go with the cheesy headset. This is one that the work gave me, and I haven't used a whole lot, but uh, we'll try it out. Working from home for those of you who haven't had a chance to do it, like I worked at the poison control center uh, during the pandemic's peak, and um, and prior to the pandemic, um. Everyone was saying that it is literally impossible for the way that the policies and procedure manuals were written up for our particular regional poison center to work remotely. It just wasn't going to work, and there was all these requirements and, and things, and um, every, every time someone would bring it up, that you know it would just be presented as this insurmountable mountain that uh, they did not want to try to, to, to summit. And then the pandemic happened, and suddenly they were forcing people uh, to take laptops home and get set up for for uh, for at home work. And I don't say forcing as it was like mean spirited or or in any way you know unethical or or anything. It's just that the best way to handle was to make sure we had a continuity of care by getting people set up to work from home. And like a lot of jobs. It is a job that can totally be done from home in this day and age. I never took advantage of working from home for a couple reasons. Um, one is because I worked overnights, um, the comfort of working at home, quote unquote, comfort, uh, was not going to be conducive to me staying up all night. I just, I struggled with working overnights as it was. And I just, I could see it becoming a problem. Two, I don't have the sort of space and the sort of uh, of luxury at my home to be able to work an overnight shift without disturbing my family, especially with calls constantly coming in, um, the, the big uh, HIPAA element of all of that, um, access to references and things that I would have needed to do so I'd be rummaging around. Um in general, it just was going to be a poor a poor match. I had a routine and I had a comfort zone and I did not want to to buck that because it was barely functional as it was. And I definitely did not want to throw my family into any more chaos than my overnight shifts uh, were doing. So, um, I chose not to do it. And the third reason I chose not to work uh, remotely was a little bit out of petulance. I just didn't want to. I was the only person in the whole building. Um, I didn't want people in my house. Uh, I hesitate to say that, like, I'm embarrassed at my house because I'm not. But our house isn't the cleanest or the best decorated or, you know, we've kind of slept on some some clutter management. And... Uh, we have young kids and it just, it looks like a family lives here and I don't have strangers over. Um, I'm very self-conscious about the carpet and about, you know, the the piles of clutter and, and, and things. And it's just not enjoyable for me to have guests. And for as large as our house is, like our house is not huge, um, but it's bigger than the house I grew up in, in a family of five. And there's four of us here, so I have more room with less people. The space is not utilized well, so um, it's not really built for entertainment. It's built for living, and even then, the the kids' bedrooms weren't really designed by someone who had ever had children before. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, I, I just didn't want them to come and and have to certify my setup. And then uh, there was some micromanaging going on at that time, and they were saying that they would have to come and inspect and make sure you had HIPAA compliant and that you weren't just going to work like at the kitchen table. And um, there was some talk that some of the poison centers were requiring like virtual check-ins, like they wanted a camera that they could access to make sure you were at your desk and you were working. And it's all that whole keystroke counting, you know, uh, mouse wiggling Um, stuff that comes with remote uh, staffing anymore. So all those reasons together, I never wanted to work uh, remotely. But here I am. I'm working remotely now. Uh, The job was solicited as remote work from home. And I'm satisfied with the setup. I'm not contributing to the team at all right now because there's so much training. I'm the first person that they trained primarily as uh, work from home. And so there's some growing pains with that, and some expectations, and everybody's got a full plate as it is with their own duties. To, um, and I'm trying my best to be, you know, self-directed and um, dig into uh, dig into PDFs and, and sort of learn the ropes uh, without needing to constantly request for handholding. So, um, so yeah, uh, it's been an experience uh, and, um, and, uh, it's lonely. It's, it's weird. It's, it's weird to work at home. It's not, you know, I don't have halls to go wander, to stretch my legs. Um, I don't hear other voices very often. We do have some zoom calls, but on days we don't have more than just our shout out in the morning. Um, it's, uh, it's weird because even the training that I'm doing, I don't have access to Streaming video for the lectures. I just have the PDFs, so it's uh, it's taking some getting used to. And this morning, I had to just get up and drive to the grocery store. Um, I didn't need anything at the grocery store, but it was like one of those nagging, uh, intrusive thoughts that I had that I need to get. A, I need to go. I need to go somewhere. I need to do something. So I grabbed a couple of checks I've been sitting on for literally forever. And uh, went and drove through and deposited them at the bank. Um, It's not that I'm so rich; I don't need money. They were just for such small amounts. They were rebate checks. But so I went and deposited those. Went to the store, got a diet Mountain Dew, got a donut uh, to pat myself on the back for making it to another payday. So good job, Dad. And uh, came home, and that was all I needed. I just needed to get out of the house. I needed to have a purpose and working from home, it's I haven't developed the routine yet. So I feel like I'm not contributing to my team. I feel like I'm doing uh, so with zero supervision, which I both like and loathe. And I think for those of you who have maybe uh, worked uh, remotely, you don't understand exactly what I mean by that. And um, yeah, it's just a different switch. And so uh, it, it's been a weird week. It's been a weird week mentally. I'm not depressed and I don't, dislike it. And, um, I don't feel like I've made a mistake or anything like that. It's just so different. It's just so different. And as a guy who's had some career, uh, storms in the last few years, you know, it just feels weird to once again, be at the the zero point, you know, the, uh, the lowest part of the totem pole and starting from scratch and, all the things that are familiar are, are gone, you know, like you can kind of fake your way through a day at a retail pharmacy, but um, I don't have that luxury in the IT world, which is perfect. I wanted to get out of pharmacy. So in achieving my goals, there's some things you have to be aware of. So I would encourage anyone who's looking at a career change or, you know, an alteration in employment, to, to do keep that in mind when you're interviewing is like it there's trade-offs and sometimes they're they're like this there are things I'll outgrow and before you know it I'll probably be griping about how much work I have to do and the new guy not getting it or something you know a year or two down the road but I'm the new new guy and they haven't had a new new guy in a long time and uh and I've met some of the team uh, via Zoom. I've met even fewer in person. And it just feels like I'm on an island. And it's definitely strange. I wonder how our children will react. Uh, you know, uh, having had more experience perhaps with some of the isolation. I don't know if that is like me trying too hard to to find a silver lining in all of that. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a skill that, has to feel normal, otherwise it feels jarring, and it does feel jarring to me. One thing that I've thought about as far as work from home goes from a a nerd perspective is, uh, well, two things, actually. One is Marvel Comics was working from home from the 70s onward. I mean, they didn't have a bullpen, per se. Um, It's just they didn't have the technological tools that we have today, so they were shipping things overnight and sometimes even putting art on seats in airplanes to get them delivered on time. A lot of phone calls, a lot of mail, um, faxes, of course, when that technology became the norm. And uh, and so a lot of the comic books we grew up enjoying were done basically in a collaborative work from home type environment. But um, a lot of times I think the people contributing would still have to move local, work from home local, you know, they'd have to live in New York because that's where all the publishing was. So um, so I'm not entirely sure that it's a, a true work from home, but it's definitely like a prototype. And um, for better or for worse, you know, uh, if you look at the, the output from 70s and 80s Marvel, um, they got it done with the freelancers working without someone staring over their shoulder all the time. Um now, there's been lots written about Marvel Studios. Well, before it was studios, Marvel Comics, and kind of how things went down and, and uh, you know some of the office politics and, and so on there. So it's far from an ideal representation of, of how something can work remotely. But um, you know, it's just something I thought about was that, you know, why does this seem so weird to the business world? We've sort of been doing it a long time when there are freelancers involved and uh, creatives that just don't have a reason to need to be all in one big warehouse room. Uh, we really bought into that cubicle culture hard once once it was here. Um, it's so strange, and I have so many things to talk about about the business world that are super boring that I'll just skip that. But anyway, it was just a thought that occurred to me. The other thing that occurred to me uh, with working from home as a nerd is that um, we're highly distractible people, us nerds. Like, if you were focused as a nerd, you would either be an obsessive collector or you'd be a writer or an instructor or a creator, right? Because you'd have this goal oriented uh, Mm -hmm. mentality where you know, for a while, it was the norm to talk to creators, and they would tell you they barely read comic books. Like they don't keep up on stuff because they're too busy creating and in pursuing. Um, for those of us who have instead taken up positions on the consumer end of all of that, um, we're easily distracted, and they count on us to be easily distracted. They want to be able to jangle their keys and misdirect us towards the new shiny thing. And um working from home is difficult because uh, we're easily distracted because we've surrounded ourselves with leisure, uh, whether it be action figures or video games or, or books on a shelf or what have you, you know we like to pull that stuff into our private life. So you know there might have been a time when you really really like movies and you like to go to the movies, but The only time it made to see a movie would be with your loved ones or friends and uh, to go to the theater like in the evening or for a matinee. But you can get movies on tap at home from thousands of different services. And um, uh, matter of fact, it's gotten to a point where it's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up with all of the... uh, with the output. And a lot of discussion in the nerdosphere is about this material that you're not keeping up on. And so you kind of start to feel left out if you don't keep up. Um, We have bigger and better collections of comic books than we've ever had before, not only because there's more volume and because of the accessibility, but just because we've made it a part of collecting to amass massive collections rather than like a small curated collection. Um, Even for like myself and my friends who like sports or like novels, um, you know, uh, we're able to access that kind of stuff uh, in an unprecedented way now. Um, I'm not just going to the ballpark or checking the box scores anymore. I can watch every game of spring training and dig and drill deep into the stats and, and so on. So, you know, it's, it's a terrible time for someone with a lack of discipline with their attention. Uh, and working from home is an open door. Um, if I wanted to be distracted and, uh, I had the wild hair and I wanted to read and get the rules for Frostgrave, um, Sorted sorted out, or, or if I was working on a project on my own, I would have to take that book to work with me, and then it's conspicuous because it's in your cubicle, and someone might walk by and see you reading this book. Um, you know, you may have a window pulled open on one of your monitors in, uh, in Google Docs, and you're typing the novel that you're working on, and someone may see that you're working diligently on, on composing some sort of document when that isn't a part of your job. So there's all those little guardrails to keep you somewhat focused that are lost when you work at home. And that's something that I'll concede to the critics of the work-from-home environment is yes, it's it takes some discipline and it takes some some juggling with your attention. But what I have found is I can be productive at home as long as uh, I'm allowed to chase a rabbit and then come back and work. Um Sometimes you just have to leave the house, right? Like I said earlier, and go for a walk or, or drive to the store or go up and you know change laundry. Sometimes your brain is just so focused on needing to see that newest episode of whatever show you're watching that taking a break and just watching it and then coming back to work is the healthiest thing you can do. So in that way, work feels less like punishment. It feels less like indentured servitude and more like a chore that you just need to do during the day. And, um, you know, uh, I think it's healthy to not stay laser focused eight hours a day, 10 hours a day on one thing. Um, for some of us, it's a much better fit to be able to chase these trivial pursuits and then come back to center and sort of appease those little gremlins in your brain that are constantly nagging at you to do something else. So. One thing that I harped on a couple episodes again is is health. And um, I'm sitting a lot. I'm put on weight. Um, I haven't worked into an exercise routine yet. Part out of laziness, I'll be honest with you. And part out of weather. Like, I have time to do something. And I don't want to just get geared up and go to the Y. I mean, that's like a trip. And I haven't really settled into my schedule yet and I don't feel comfortable being the new guy and being like, well, I'm marking myself absent for an hour. I'm going to step to the to the YMCA, especially in the beginning when it's a new thing, because you have that imposter syndrome that creeps up all over in your life. And you're like, you know, I'm going to have some critique because like, yeah, you are going to the YMCA. Yeah. This is a part of your routine. It's a brand new routine. You can do this on your own time. You can do this anytime. Uh, it didn't pre-exist this job. So why are you making it active to your day? And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you have to deal with mentally. Um, but, uh, Warms up once I get maybe my weights pulled into this room, even though they're just like across the hall, so to speak. Um, I just am not set up and I'm not in the routine, and it's something I need to fix. I mean, I'm looking at myself on the camera, and I'm like, other than looking a lot older than I feel, I look a lot heavier than I should be, and it probably doesn't look as heavy as I feel. So, you know, it's it's all work that needs to be done on Carl D. Smith, and it's stuff that's on my to-do list. So. I don't want to make this uh, episode overly long. Again, I apologize for missing Friday. Um, I had some news in adjacent to my life. It has no effect on me specifically, but about a friend, and it was very disheartening, and I was so upset about it, I knew that I couldn't talk. I couldn't converse uh, without bringing it up, and it's not the sort of thing I want to talk about publicly. So suffice it to say, I just took the night off. I wasn't in the mood. Uh, I wasn't in the state, and it's the sort of thing that um, I probably need to keep the conversation selective and and private about it, Um, but uh, a lot of thoughts about this friend of mine, and I I hope that the best possible solution happens for her, considering uh, the situation. Um, Yeah, I couldn't even that night, I was going to just load up and just do a quick one and get out. Uh, but I couldn't even think about the topics that I had planned mentally for this week. And uh, it wasn't until this morning when I woke up that it dawned on me what what I was going to talk about. And what I wanted to talk about was this report that there's like $30 million worth of Funko Pops are going to be buried in a landfill. Now, the press jumped all over this, and no one's been more critical of Funko and then that sort of what it represents for the the nerd hobby, nerd industry, um, than me. But I don't take a lot of delight in this story, although it doesn't surprise me either. It costs a lot of money to, uh, to store uh, inventory. And they lost, a couple years ago, a huge distributor of their Chotsky, which was Hastings and all their affiliated stores. They just went out of business. And uh, those stores, like a lot of pop culture stores, were heavy into the Funko Pops. Not only that, not only that, they create these things in large quantity and quickly. They don't have seasons or, or waves necessarily like a lot of uh, other toy companies or, or pop culture uh, merchandise companies. It's a constant release schedule that tries to react and pivot as quickly as they can based on developments in pop culture and also always on the lookout for new IPs to milk. So they get the rights. They have them shortly. They churn out four or five figures for that IP, and then they move on to the next thing. And there's literally something for everybody. There's things that you collect just for the sake of collecting them, They have novelty stuff like serial mascots and so on. Um, And they have movies and TV shows and cartoons you forgot existed and billions of variants of all the Marvel nonsense to where they're inventing new stuff to to put out and new variants with different street art paint on them, treating them more like, uh, um, I can't remember what those things were called. It was like the predecessor to Funko Pops, those little big head things that were all designed different ways, but... I know Dunny was one of them, but that's not the one I'm trying to think of. But um, so it's a constant, constant, constant newness, which is such a symptom of the type of fandom that we've fallen into as nerds um, that we're not content to just kind of have sustained fandom. Um, There has to be constantly something new and some new wrinkle. Uh, And to their credit, they have kept the Funko thing going a lot longer than I thought they would. The Funko Pop, I should say. Funko is a larger business that does a lot of different stuff, but Funko Pops in particular. For that to become a mainstream thing and things that people have stacks and stacks and stacks of, um, I have one Funko in this entire room, I think. Let me confirm that so I'm not lying. Yes, I have one Funko. And I even have some stuff kind of stuffed on my shelves here, more so than usual to decorate but this is my Funko that I have in a room. Black Phillip from The Witch. Um, I bought that because I honestly love the movie. I couldn't believe that they made a Funko of him. And it turns out that he's somewhat rare. Uh, I don't have the box anymore. Um, he's got a, a, a dot of paint missing from his nose where he took a head dive once off my desk. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, they're everywhere. But... They have so much stock, and the target is continually moving for for what people are chasing. And not everything becomes rare uh, and collectible. Some stuff is just junk, like no one wants. Like the uh, Valerian Funko Pops. The movie was a bomb. People who like Valerian don't care about the movie versions of the figures. People who don't know what Valerian are don't think they're neat. Um, there just is no reason for them to exist, except for maybe in a very small quantity. But there was loads of these things. Um, not that that one was overprinted more than anything, but this is an example. And so when that stuff remains unsold, if you're a, if, if you're a chain that buys stuff and then you decide to stay away from movie stuff or, or 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 stuff that doesn't have like a strong pedigree, it never sold to start with. And so they have that stuff in warehouses. And I don't know what their return policies are or anything. So let's just assume that the stock that they're sitting on is unsold product uh, that never got distributed to start with, um, didn't get reordered, didn't get ordered the first time. It continually gets pushed further down to the back as the new stuff comes in. They have so that they're renting um, they're renting uh, storage containers so that they can get room back in their warehouse to receive incoming stock that may still potentially sell. Because every week that goes by, it's less likely that they're ever going to reclaim uh, the the sale on those items. And I don't know if they do deep discounts or, or what they do, but whatever it is, it can't keep up. It cannot keep up with their stock. And so somehow the news story broke that the plan currently to eliminate some overhead because they're paying so much in storage fees and they need to have space so they can work, is to just liquidate that inventory with extreme prejudice. They're just going to bury it into a landfill. And people thought that was pretty funny, and I had to chuckle myself, but there's a consequence to that. I mean, that is... Ecological consequence now. That becomes a part of a larger problem and a larger discussion. And it's all predicated on this weird, uh, flighty consumer need for pop culture idolatry that we have, and this weird collector's mindset that, you know, things have to exist and nostalgia is important. And I need a physical representation of this, this thing I love and I need to have multiple of them. And there's some that are worth more than others because there's more uh, weight put on them, either as a, a beloved IP or something that's been earmarked as quirky enough or, or rare enough. It's this all this arbitrary nerd BS has led to this massive, massive, massive ecological ding now. Now, luckily, this is happening at the same time as trains not being able to stay on train tracks carrying very volatile and... Destructive chemicals. And so they may skate without too many watchdogs barking at them about this. But I would also state that they're not the only one doing this. This is just the one we heard about. This is not an uncommon practice. Uh, Many of you know that in the 80s there was always that rumor that they buried all those ET Atari cartridges because demand just wasn't where it needed to be because it was such a terrible game and it was rushed. And it's a famous story. And those went into a landfill. Um, recently there was some talk about, is it Wizards on the Coast that does magic cards? That, you know, several hundred thousand dollars worth of magic cards was just thrown into a landfill. It's not uncommon because these businesses don't really care about the product itself in anything other than recouping what they spent and turning over that uh, inventory. And if that inventory becomes a liability, it's got to go. And there's a certain amount of cost and energy that's involved with liquidating stuff. And people are saying, why don't they give them to uh, shelters and to uh, schools? Or, you know, why aren't they just selling them at a buck a piece? And let's let us, well, there's a lot of reasons why for a lot of those questions. And it is disappointing that the only option that makes sense to them is burying them, but uh, I'm sure they've thought about all that stuff, about you know the tax break they might get for giving it away, um, what that does to the greater market. If we know that if we wait long enough and stuff doesn't sell, we can eventually pick through the, the drippings for a dollar a shot. I mean, th- there's a lot going on there, uh, but, uh, but this is the end result consequence for our fandom, is pulped comic books, cases and cases and cases of trading cards that just trade hands or eventually get thrown away, action figures that are for series that no one care about that just get thrown into a landfill, Uh, Funko Pops, all this stuff. It doesn't go into some sort of magic receptacle. Um, uh, My friend Matt and I talk all the time about records. Like, there are records that were household items for a long time. And then you can't really find them secondhand anymore, very commonly at our local record stores, even the the used collectible ones. And we wonder why that is. Like, Why can't I walk in any day of the week and just buy a copy of Van Halen 1984, or the first Cyndi Lauper record, or Madonna stuff, or Wham stuff? It just doesn't exist in those quantities anymore. And it's not because it's being fetishized and collected and hoarded. Um, It's stuff that's sitting in people's garages or was thrown away or was damaged. And so then they tossed it or had been repurposed into wall art or something. But because of Columbia Record Club, because of the nature of music ownership uh, and media in the 80s, that stuff was printed by the s- scores <laughs> and it, you don't always see it around anymore because it's been disposed of another end result of, of our fandom and our sort of consumer pop culture uh, obsessions of uh, VHS tapes, or, or, you know, even though they've sort of got this weird kind of hipster attention placed on them again and, and cassette tapes, um, those things exist by the multitudes and, um, most of it's garbage and the damage has been done in some ways already to the environment through the manufacture, uh, the chemical treatment and the transportation, uh, of those things. And now the the icing on the cake is, is now it's just going to go sit in some landfill and, and not rot, uh, for a very, very, very long time. And, um, it's very disappointing, uh, to think about, and it's all, Again, a symptom partially of capitalism, but partially also because of this weird obsessive fandom that we all celebrate all the time. Um, it's, it's an ethical problem that we might have to wrestle with sooner than later. Uh, do we continue to worship plastic? Or can we step away from it and disengage for the greater good? Um, companies can't help themselves. They can't They can't control uh, the market the way that we're told that they will. They will make a billion of them if it looks like they could possibly sell it and then swing for the fence and then shrug if, if they don't get it right and try again. Um, it's not very often. As we talked about on the last podcast, that there's a true limited edition collectible of some sort that is just put out and ingested and exists and they move on to the next thing. And as much as I hate that type of collecting, I wish that was the case for all this stuff. I wish there were finite quantities, but as we see with concert tickets, the market can't sustain that because there's bad actors constantly finding a way to use it for profitability's sake. And, um, we definitely would see it. We see it with variant issue covers. We've seen it with chase figures. We've seen it with limited edition uh, toys and, and knickknacks. Um, we see it with concert tickets. Anything that's temporal or, or, or not ubiquitous or the impression of it is it is not ubiquitous. Um, it becomes a commodity and people who have access and means to acquire that stuff without a love for that item but a love for money instead will do so. They'll snatch it up and flip it. And a great majority of our nerd lives are, are uh, dictated through that cycle of acquisition and flipping and not because of the love of the game, so to speak. So it, it's a disappointing story to hear. And I don't wish them any ill will, but um, I wish I thought that this would signal the industry or, or at least them to maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Um, unfortunately, the only thing that ever speaks to these companies is just complete lack of interest. But on something that's sold as a good that's already in its final s- state, unless they slip over to like a Kickstarter pre-order type uh, system, which would not be able to sustain the monster that they've built, um, they will always produce this stuff and get stuck with it. And by the time that the industry is, is clearly over it, when we hit that beanie baby point, when this it isn't cool to buy them anymore and stores know not to carry them, and they've already got stuck with the last two or three shipments, it, until you hit that point, they won't stop producing them. And then that ecological damage continues to kind of pay itself forward. So, uh, again, it's not a good story. It doesn't bode well uh, to and, – and it's not that nerds have gotten smarter. It's not that we've decided we don't value Funko Pops because they're still selling pretty well. Uh, the fad is dying. But a, a lot of it isn't because we've grown as people and learned anything. It's just that our attention has been shifted to something else. And um, – It'll be interesting to see what that something else is next. Um, There's always something. um, And uh, it always ends the same way. With a pop of the market, a lot of stuff on hand that just gets pulped. And it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing. And we're not any more responsible for... Ecological downturn than any other industry or interest group. I'm not saying that, but it's something ethically that we probably should wrestle with as a group of people. Um, You know, we're worried about our health. We're worried about the health of the environment. We're worried about our financial health and our mental health. All these things should matter to us, but they are things that rarely come up. Um, I do appreciate that the comic book and the nerd communities are now more involved with social things. So they look at the material, and even though it gets a little gatekeeper and a, a little, um, I don't know, I dare, dare I use the term like virtue signaling, but there's some great amount of good being done by us being aware that there is an ethics to what we present as a story and how it's presented, uh, who we're targeting and not targeting with some of the, the venom in those stories, who we're representing and who we're not representing. Those things have been um brought higher into our consciousness and i think there are other things that need to be brought up to that level as well and something like this funko nonsense where our addiction to to again these little plastic idols vinyl idols uh, you know it it's it's destructive and we as a group maybe need to decide you know when one figure is adequate versus 100. And it's a slippery slope, man. And, uh, you know, I would never suggest that, that an adult can't collect an action figure or a model or a statue or something. And it's something I have fought trying to amass. But every once in a while, I'll see something on the shelf and I feel like I have to have it, you know. And so I could see where if someone had that feeling at the level that I have for books or for comic books or something like that, why they would amass boxes and boxes and boxes. And if 10 people are buying them that frequently, uh, they'll make material enough to sell to 100. And if 100 people are buying that much, they'll make 1,000. The the industry is always going to provide more, uh, maybe not of the specific character you want, but they're going to produce more product than there is actual demand for because no one wants to be uh, in the position Disney was in when Frozen was a smash hit and they had nothing to sell anybody or Nickelodeon when Ren and Stimpy was, was on fire uh, in the subculture and all they had was like one lousy t-shirt before the licensing got figured out there. You know, there's, there's a few cautionary stories out there of, of what could have been what we could have made but the problem is is that those are so far and few between. The, usually store, the usual story is, is like, I wish we wouldn't have ordered so big. Like, we made an entire wave of Star Wars figures that we ended up clearing out at KB Toys. Or that last line of, of uh, He-Man figures, um, they're worth something now to collectors. But boy, we couldn't give them away when they came out. That's the usual story. And unfortunately, our landfills get to be the recipient of what was once loved and um, and cherished by our community. So that's it for this morning. I probably should get back to work anyway, right? Talking of distractions and, and waste and so on. But um, I did want to get an episode out this week. Um, I would love, 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 love to hear you guys re- reply to me with your thoughts on these matters. That's the one thing, I love the feedback. I, I wish this was more of a talk show. Um, and me not showing up for a scheduled appearance definitely doesn't help drive that forward any. But, um, you know, with uh, w- with the usual setup, usually only one or two people show up anyway. But um, if Go Kicker became a, a, a talk show and less of me just talking, fantastic. I like the back and forth. Um, but these matters are something I would like to hear other input on. Like, how does that affect you? Do you have those thoughts when you look at your mass of of plastic that you've acquired? What do you think about Funko Pops? What do you think about them having to to trash them like this? Um, Do you have any awareness of other things that have been um, uh, handled and were they handled better or the same or worse uh, when it comes to pop culture uh, product that doesn't find a home? So... Until next time, everybody. Oh, and I have to own up to something here, and I, I this was completely unintentional, and uh, and I feel like I do need to mention it. Um, I had somewhere along the line, uh, I didn't try to f- come up with a catchphrase for the show, but I signed out "Take care of yourself, take care of others," or you know some permutation of that. Um, My least favorite show on television is The Today Show. My wife swears by it. But I was watching the other day, and Lester Holt signed off with that. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. So I may have stolen Lester Holt of The Today Show's sign-off phrase. And I feel sort of rotten about that, Um, even though it's something I feel in my heart that I want to say as a part of my show. So um, I'm not going to workshop a new sign-off. But, uh, you know... (laughs) Take care of yourself and take care of others. If I have an original thought in my mind, it'll be the first, right? Isn't that how it works? But, um, but the important thing is, is, is through this show and through our friendship and, and the intent of all this is for me to highlight things to think about uh, in people's lives that help better themselves and to realize that they're a part of a community and they need to be helping that community. And so that's why I've always chosen to sign off with that. So um, until I get sued, I may continue to say it. But now that I'm hyper aware of it, it feels awkward to say it because I'm here cosplaying as as Lester Holt, who is probably journalistically my favorite member of that entire team. So until the next goad Kicker, you guys, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. We'll see you.